Um, have you heard the story of a successful banker who, uh, who did so well one year, he went out and bought a Porsche. And he parked it outside his offices in the central Liverpool business district. And uh, he parked his car, and then a, a lorry came past. And it came past at great speed, too close to the car, and ripped the driver's door off. You're looking like worried. I'm saying this with a slight wry smile, all right? Okay, slight joke to this, okay? Um, immediately, the driver grabs his iPhone and he dials 999. And the police and the ambulance arrive. But before the police can begin to ask some questions, the banker is screaming hysterically and saying, I just bought this brand new Porsche and now it's ruined. Before the policeman can begin to ask some questions, this is all going on, and he has to wait till the guy's calmed down. And when he's calmed down, the policeman says to him, he shakes his, he shakes his head in disbelief, and he says, I, sh I can't believe how materialistic you bankers are. You're so focused on your possessions, you don't think about the more important things in life. How can you say such a thing? The banker says, he's shocked, he's shocked. And the policeman says, good grief, man. Don't you realize you've lost your left arm in the accident? And looking down, the banker says, oh, no. Not my Rolex watch as well. You ought to treasure that one. I don't know many jokes. I know that one and the joke about the snail. Okay. And you're not getting them both today. You need to treasure that. Here Jesus is teaching about money. He's teaching about wealth. He's teaching about possessions. And last week we saw that the kingdom of God has more to do with everyday things like that than what we tend to think it has to do with. You know, uh, Regular, regular reading of our Bible, praying, getting into some sort of spiritual mindset. No, 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 no. Jesus says the kingdom of God has to do with the gritty realities of life. And that's why he has so much to say about money. And today's parable is part of teaching in Luke, which continues into the next chapter on that subject, on the subject of money. Who thinks they've got money sorted here, I wonder? Isn't it a constant preoccupation for us, one way or another? Most of us haven't got enough. Yeah? I mean, that would, be the, that would be the case, wouldn't it? If we were honest, we would say we haven't got enough. Well, here we get some free financial advice. And we're going to look at this parable. The structure itself is straightforward. Jesus tells a story in verses 1 to 8. And then he draws a pointed lesson from it in verse 9. And then he uses the story as a springboard, if you like, to looking at the whole subject of money from a kingdom perspective. So in the language that we were just saying earlier on, in, in those latter verses, he takes us into the house and we begin to look out on the world by st standing there in the kingdom of God and, my, it looks different. It looks very different. And we're going to look at that when we come to those, those later verses. Thank you, Marion, for putting that up. So, so I've got some slides to help us as we follow. Uh, that's great. So first of all, the story. Did you see what was going on in the story? First of all, let's have a look. Once there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So basically, the, the manager is cheating on the owner. 
Okay, that's the story that Jesus is told. Um, and when he's found out, uh, he's told to do what every manager that cheats on his own is told to do. He's told to empty his desk, basically, isn't it? You're out. You lost your job. Okay, uh, for cheating on the on the owner. Um, and we could pause at that moment. We could pause at that point in the story for a moment and think, because some of you know what it's like to be in that situation, don't you? To be out of work, I mean. To be out of work and looking ahead to the future and thinking, where's, where's the money going to come from? Where, how am I going to cope? And it feels very dark indeed, doesn't it, in situations like that? We kind of would know, even though the, the, man, the owner's got himself into this, the manager's got himself into this trouble, we know that there's, there's a depth of feeling there. There's, 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 there's trouble ahead. And we should have some pity, some remorse, shouldn't we? But then he comes up with a brilliant plan. Um, uh, if, I hope you don't mind me singling one of you. So, so Linda, imagine you, imagine you owed the owner of this company uh, £10,000. And the manager, he comes up with this great plan. He comes to you and he says to, to, to Linda, uh, change that, what do you owe, 10000 change it, make it 5000 Yeah? And he does the same for, uh, for, for, for everybody else. The same for John. He does the same for Catherine. He does the same for Elaine. And so he goes through all of them, changing it, bringing it down. Now that's clever, isn't it? Is that clever? Why is it clever? Why is it clever? It's important we, we understand that. Because when he's finally out on his ear, and he needs to call in a favour, who's he going to call? Who's he going to call? He's going to go back to those people, isn't he? He's going to go back to Linda. And he's going to say to Linda, do you know when I, uh, you know when I, you, you know you owed that guy 10,000 and I changed it, made it 5,000. You know, you, you know when I did you that favour? I get lost. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in the kind of uh, imaginary world, we, we, that might, might be, but that happens. I mean, it's, it's clever though, isn't it? You've got to admit, I mean, dishonest, yes. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the passage says it's dishonest, but it is clever. It is clever. He thought quickly and it was clever, wasn't it? Yeah? But, but we do stumble. I know there's a problem with it, though, isn't there? We do stumble with it a little, little bit, and we need to just look carefully. Because I kind of know what you're thinking. Well, does that mean Jesus saying that that's okay? It's right to do that. Um, would somebody read out verse 8 out loud for us? Because we really want to see what it says. And why don't you have a look in your Bible and see what it really says? Anybody could do that. The master commended. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, before we, we, we get a bit uppity about this and, and a bit sort of jumping up and saying, this is wrong, Jesus is saying this is right. Let's be clear what it says here. First of all, shrewd means clever or smart or canny is the word we've used here. It is smart in a, in a, bit, in a bit of an underhand kind of way. That's definitely true, isn't it? And the two things I want to say. First of all, I'm glad that it says that the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. It doesn't say the master commended the dishonest manager full stop. So we know it was to do with his shrewdness. 
He recognises the cleverness in his plan, in his scheme. Okay? And the second thing is, I'm glad it says, the master commended the dishonest manager. Not Jesus commended the dishonest manager. It says the master commended the dishonest manager. As we've already said, clever, yes it was. Dishonest, yes it was. So let's be clear, Jesus does not say, go and be like the worker in the story. That's not how this parable works. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Have a look at verse 9. Because that tells us what Jesus says. Yeah. Yeah, go on. The people of the light, uh, in, in, uh, in this parable, Jesus is using that as a term to describe his believers, true believers, true followers. Jesus says, I am the light. Uh, and, uh, though, uh, so he's talking about people who follow him are the people of the light, the children of the light, if you like. And the people who are uh, the people of this age, he's talking about, um, he's talking about this sort of the shady uh, aspect of the story that we've just been thinking about. Um, it's a good question. Um, as I carry on, we'll see if, if that begins to be answered even more clearly for you. Uh, and if not, we can come back to that, because that's a, a good one. Um, so we've just seen what Jesus says. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than my people, is what he says. That's what Jesus is saying about the story. In other words, Jesus seems to be saying, people of the world seem to give greater thought to the future, greater creativity, greater imagination, greater ingenuity, if you like, to the future than believers do. Jesus is saying, if you like, we may not all be standing on the edge of redundancy, and some of us are, but we may not all be standing on the edge of redundancy, but we are all standing on the edge of eternity. You see? And so he's talking about the future. He's asking them to cast their minds to the future. And the lesson of the story is this. This is the lesson I think of the story. Think very carefully about money by placing yourself in the future. That's what Jesus is saying. Think very carefully about money and your spending and what you spend your money on, your wealth and your possessions, by placing yourself in the future. Now, if I'm very honest, I need to hear that because I give very little thought to the future when my eyes are besotted or my mind is besotted with that buying decision that is in front of me at that one moment. And if you're anything like me, well, you, you know that. You're the same. It is very much a present thing, isn't it, for us? We go where our eyes and our hearts and our desires take us. And Jesus is saying, stop. This is the first thing he says. He goes on to say a lot of things. But he says, stop. Think carefully about money by placing yourself in the future. And by that he means God's future. Future with a capital G, if you want to call it like that. God's future. And we're going to hear more about that in verses 10 to 13. He's going to say more about that. The second lesson, I think, comes in verse 9. And that is this. Prioritise spending your money winning souls for eternity. Verse 9. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, 
use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, now, friends, I take it, is referring to people who are saved for all eternity because of their spending decisions. Because of, not their, your spending decisions. And Jesus calls them here, therefore, your friends. And they would be. When it is gone, could be about the fact that money comes and goes. And it does, doesn't it? You can be rich one minute, you can be poor the next. You can have a job one minute, you can lose it the next. But because Jesus talks about being welcomed into eternal dwellings, it's probably got more to do with the fact that money is gone when you die, isn't it? It's probably got more to do with the fact that the Bible says elsewhere, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. And we don't stop and think about that very often, do we? We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You know, the old undertaker's jokes. There's no shrouds, there's no pockets in a shroud sort of thing isn't it what did he leave behind everything because you can't take it with you you can't take it with you can you and in that sense all of those buying decisions the new telly with anti-glare the phone whatever seems pressing today whatever it is today from the perspective of my certain death suddenly looks different doesn't it I mean think about it the chances are I'll live out the last few days of my life hooked up to some hospital monitor in all likelihood and there'll be a drawer next to me and that drawer will be 40 centimetres by 30 centimetres perhaps that depth and it will contain anything that is of value to me won't it really? Anything that really matters at that point. Pictures, photographs, maybe a couple of mementos. It's going to matter, isn't it? And the only thing that will really matter in those last days is peace with God, whose eternity I stand on the edge of. That's all that's really going to matter, isn't it? And Jesus says the only wealth that will last are the pounds and the pence invested in making Christ and his gospel known. So Jesus says to you now, think carefully about money by placing yourself in the future. Prioritize spending your money winning souls for eternity. Now I want to say it couldn't be clearer than that, could it? Uncomfortable, yes, but it couldn't be clearer than that. Today it almost certainly includes giving to support the work of the local church since, since that's the immediate means that God has given us to making Christ and his gospel known here, doesn't it? Winning souls for eternity, as Jesus talks about here. I don't know how much any of you give. I don't, but I'm confident of this. Any attempt to grow into salvation will be stunted if we ignore what Jesus is telling us very clearly here. There's loads of worthy causes, of course. I know somebody who made a decision that, that in his giving, he only gives to organisations, a Christian believer, he only gives to organisations that only Christians would support. 
because there's loads of worthy causes, aren't there? But there are some things that which only a Christian would, 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 would give because they're about holding out the kingdom of God, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it challenges us to think, what are our priorities, doesn't it? A good example might be the Barnabas Fund. You know, their work in supporting Christians in areas of poverty and persecution. There's lots of good causes supporting people in areas of poverty. But the Barnabas Fund are a Christian organisation that seek to put the, hand, the money in the hands of, of Christians in those places of poverty and persecution. That those Christians might show the love of God abroad and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ among the communities that they're living in. That people might ex- uh, experience that love, that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ and that their eternities might be secure and safe in him. I mean, that's a good idea, isn't it? Actually, if, you're going, if we're going to be supporting people in areas like that, that's a good idea, isn't it? And Jesus says, picture the heavenly welcome party. I want to encourage you in this. Because Jesus is talking about a, a, a heavenly welcome party in verse 9. Men and women, boys and girls. Because of your decision about money. Because you did something about what you heard on the 18th of August 2013 as snatched back from a godless eternity to knowing life abundant now and forever. What a welcome party that will be. Can you imagine? Those people, they're welcoming you. They're so glad for what you did in, in the obedience of faith with your money. In the holiday, Elaine and I visited the Maritime Museum. Thank you for your kind uh, words about the holiday and asking us whether we'd had a nice time. We did loads of local area visits and we went to the Maritime Museum in, in Liverpool. It's great on the, on the Albert Dock there, isn't it? Um, and the Titanic exhibition um, has got a, a cabinet there dedicated to the captain who uh, speedily steered his ship um, to go to the rescue of those passengers that were sunk in the Titanic. You know the story? The, the captain, and he, and he steers it round, and, he, and, he, and it took a lot of uh, skill and ingenuity, I think, to get the engine up to speed, and to get there and to rescue those people out of the, uh, the cold, uh, icy waters. Um, and there's photographs of the kind of embrace and the welcome that that captain got from the people that he rescued, you know, you can just see the love, you can see the delight, the joy, you know, the welcome, if you like. Oh, we're so pleased, you saved us, you rescued us. What you did made a difference. No, you can't, I need to, I'm running ahead of myself. You and I can't save somebody, but we can make a difference. Jesus is saying you can make a difference here with the decisions that you make about now, about the kingdom of God. Imagine that welcome party. And so I have to challenge you as I challenge, as I challenge myself with the question here. Looking back over the last 12 months, has your use of what you have gained you eternal friends? Has it been directed in that way? And then what would it mean for you to do something about that? What would it mean for you to do something about that? Do you remember last week we did the parable of the two sons 
and it was about doing what it says, isn't it? Doing what Jesus says. I'm just going to remind you of that again now, because we need to be keeping reminded of it, don't we? What would it mean for you to do something about that? Well, I want to use what remains of our time in verses uh, 10 to, to 13, because this is Jesus' invitation right into the heart of the kingdom of God, perspective on money and possessions. And we need to hear this, because it will help us with those, those two points as well. And I think Jesus here is really going back to the first point. Think carefully about money by placing yourself in the future. So what are those things we need to think carefully about? Jesus says, think carefully, think carefully. He wants us to think carefully. And now he's telling you what he wants you to think carefully about. I'm just going to run through them very briefly. Let's have a look at them. Number one, first of all, temporary things are very little actually. Now this is exciting. This is good. Temporary things, Jesus says, are very little actually. Verse 10. Look at it, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little, very little, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you see this talk, that's what he means by the very little, who will trust you with true riches? Now there's a lot we could say about those verses, but I want to pick out the main thing. Jesus is saying worldly wealth is very little. That new iPhone 5 is very little. It's very little. It's tiny, tiny very little. That new TV that we just get so obsessed about, we, we wake up in the morning and we're thinking about it. And it's, it's very little. It's very little. It really is very, very, very little. He's comparing it to the weight of that eternal inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. He's talking about comparing it to eternity. The joy of eternity. In the new heavens and the new earth. In a world without sin. Where there is no crying and sadness and suffering and death. The world that God made it to be. And he says these things are just very little compared to the weightiness of that. True riches. It's why Jesus can say, have you ever wondered how it is that Jesus could say, what does it profit a man not to gain an iPhone and lose his soul? He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Do you know what he's saying? What he means when he says that? Do you think about it for a minute, what he says? He says, you could have the whole world and it would be nothing if your, your soul wasn't safe. If you hadn't got peace with God and you knew that you were going to spend eternity with him, then if you had everything in the world, imagine that. It'd be nothing. It'd be very little. It'd be nothing. That's why Jesus can say that. Because we just, we just have no appreciation of the scale of the glory of the wonder of the new heavens and the new earth that we have to look forward to. And so Jesus needs to remind us that temporary things are very little, actually. And the second inevitable lesson from verses 10 to 11 is that money decisions are kingdom decisions. The decisions that you make about money are about the kingdom of God. You know, it is about the decisions you make about which brand of cornflakes you're going to choose 
may seem insignificant to you, but it is driven by your heart and it is a kingdom of God decision. We try and separate things out, don't we? You know, uh, my spending is, you know, is nothing to do with my, my faith. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's all to do with it. Even what you decide to spend on cornflakes is a kingdom of God decision. Absolutely. What, well, somebody help Minda. We need help with that, don't we? What do? What, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk about that. We'll have to talk about chocolate. Is it maybe once a week? You know what I'm saying, don't you? There is no separation. There is no divide. The kingdom of God is about the gritty realities in those areas. Number three, you have nothing which God would consider as yours. You and I have nothing that God would consider as yours. Verse twelve. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, you and I have nothing which God would consider as ours. You and I are caretakers, not owners of what we've got. Very clear New Testament teaching, Jesus, on our possessions and wealth. Well, that's a fresh perspective, isn't it? And we need to hear that. People asked us when we arrived, Elaine and I, are you going to buy your own house here or are you going to rent? Well, think about that question for a moment now in the light of that. The correct answer to that question is we're renting. We bought our house, but we're all renting. We're all renting actually, aren't we? It may say freehold on the deeds. In fact, it doesn't. It's, it's lease, leasehold. That was, that's a puzzling thing, isn't it? When you buy a house and then you st- and they start, the, the solicitor starts going through the lease. You say, excuse me a minute. I'm, I'm paying hard money for this house. What's this lease all about? Oh, no, 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 it's leasehold, 999 years. Listen, we're all leasehold. It's all leasehold. Everything you own, it's all leasehold. You and I have nothing God would consider as our own. Which means, you think about the implication of that, it means that what we spend our money on ought to be as much important as what we give away. What we keep for ourselves as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, is, as, is of as much importance as what we give away. And, you know, I, I ask you to think about that in the light of the way that there is what I would describe as a ratcheting up of expectations in our world and in our lifetimes. You think about the kind of things that we expect as normal these days, which perhaps ten years ago even, would have been considered to be the height of luxury that we consider to be normal. And I want to ask you, as I've asked myself, challenge ourselves, how much of those things are we accepting as normal? And what effect is that having on how much we feel that we need to keep for ourselves? Because if this is true, you have nothing God says God would consider as your own, then what we spend on ourselves and what we keep for ourselves is as important as what we, what we give away. And the challenge is to regularly review that, isn't it? Not to be conformed to the spirit of the age, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing that comes from this, when we listen to this. Wake up, Jesus says, wake up. Remember verse 12, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We could say it's a simple test Jesus gives us. You had money, what did you do with it? 
There's Jesus' simple test. You had money. What did you do with it? I would just remind you that every single one of us, regardless of how poor we feel, are almost certainly within the top 20% of the world's wealthiest. A lot of us are probably way above that, but I'm saying the very poorest of us are within the top 20% of the world's wealthiest. In other words, take five random people around the world, and you, even if you're the very poorest person in the room, will be the richest one among those five. And we have to remember that. We have to look with real perspective, don't we? You had money. What did you do with it? Did you choose to live on less so that the kingdom could accomplish more? Well, the knockout blow comes in verse 13. We're out of time, so very briefly. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Notice notice that. You cannot. That's really important. Not you, you should not. It says you cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. You can serve God with money, but you cannot serve God and money. And we can't move on from a a, a verse like that without really examining, examining ourselves and asking the question, therefore, what do I serve? What do I serve? You cannot serve both God and money. Well, I said these were punchy stories that Jesus told, didn't I? Parables are, aren't they? It's harder to believe than to say a lot of these truths, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really hard, actually, to believe them. So, before we conclude, I, I, I've run my mouth for a while now. Let's just pause. I'll leave those headings up on the, the screen there for a moment. And I'm going to turn around. I'm going to look at them myself. Maybe we just want a quiet moment, each of us, just looking and thinking about what we've heard. Uh, and then I, 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 I'm going to bring it together. Let me finish by saying, in the same way as last week, Luke organises his teaching in this part of, of, of the eyewitness accounts as part of Jesus' final journey to the cross. It, it begins back in chapter 9, verse 51. If you're making notes, you might want to write chapter 9, verse 51, and you'll see that everything beyond that point is, is Jesus' stories on the journey to the cross. On the journey to the cross. And he's holding the kingdom of God out to people on that final journey. And as I said last week, time was running out for them. It was the final journey. And I want to say to you this morning, nothing is more urgent in the whole world. Nothing is more promising. Nothing is more valuable than the the kingdom of God that Jesus is holding out to you this morning. He's holding out to you. And I want to remind you too, if you needed reminding, that that we don't enter into that kingdom by climbing upstairs. It's not about making ourselves better 
So even if we were to go out and try and spend money to make God love us more, it wouldn't be possible. If we were to give everything away, it wouldn't be possible. There's only one way into that kingdom, and it's not a stair, it's a door. And it's not a revolving door, it's a, it's a simple door, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's crying out to the, the Lord Jesus, it's saying, I, I recognise that I fall so far short of the standard that you would have me live. I, I, I do not glorify you as I should. My life does not reflect you as it should. And I see that, and I want to turn from that. And I, first of all, I want to ask your forgiveness, Lord, for the way that I've lived in that way. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that that sin in my life, of wanting to, wanting to be king of my life, instead of you being king, so that could be dealt with, that could be forgiven, so that I could have peace with you. And now I'm turning from that way of life, and I'm turning to your kingdom, and I'm running to your kingdom, and I'm going that way with your help, only with your help, Jesus. Only with the help of you, your Holy Spirit, that you will put in my heart when I turn to you, and I enter through that door of belief, and trusting in Jesus and what he's done on the cross for me. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we do. And that's really important. And yet, when we're in the kingdom of God, we need reminding what that kingdom of God looks like. And for, for many of us, I'm sure, what we've looked at this morning will be a challenge to us. And I want to say, what is your response to that? Is it a response of repentance and faith? Because Jesus isn't looking for sinless perfection. But he's saying, do you recognise... Uh, do you have a thirst for my kingdom? Do you want to go this way? Are you prepared to accept that you, you don't live like this? Are you asking for forgiveness in the Lord Jesus for that? And is the direction of your life saying, I'm going that way now. I am going that way with God's help. And I will fail, and you will fail, but Jesus' blood on the cross was sufficient for every time I stumble and fail. Because he... Never had a problem with this, like you and I do. Well, he was faced with the same temptation, but he was sinless. He overcame every temptation. So that his death on the cross is the perfect substitute, the sufficient substitute for every time I stumble. So, as we come to the end now, what's the direction of your heart? Where do you want to go with this? How does the kingdom of God feel to you? Is it something you want? Do you feel, com do you feel comfortable there? Do you want to be at home in that kingdom? What does that mean for you? What are you going to do? Are you ready to commit yourself afresh to living as a citizen of that kingdom? Because what we do in response to this does matter, doesn't it? And I want to just finish finally by saying, yeah, if you're thinking this is tough, this kind of teaching is tough, let's look to the Lord Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. He didn't consider what he had as something that he had to hold on to. He gave it away for the benefit of eternal souls, didn't he? I've got to finish with, with, with this verse in Philippians. It's, uh, the, it's, it's the translation of the, the, the uh, message, I think, translation <clears throat> for clarity. But think about Jesus when you think about your money. Think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God. We can't begin to imagine. 
but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death. And I want to say to you this morning, that's good news. That's good news because when you and I get it wrong and fail, there's one that didn't. He gave it all and it was perfect, a perfect sacrifice. And, uh, and he's the king of that kingdom and he invites you into that kingdom to live in that kingdom, to strive in that kingdom, um, to enjoy the very weighty privileges that that kingdom bestows on all those who follow. Well, we're going to close by singing Hear the Call of the Kingdom. Have you heard the call of the kingdom this morning in what we've been saying? Um, to be children of light. Um, maybe it'd be hard for you this morning, but can you sing, King of Heaven? We will answer the call. We will answer the call. We believe you in what you say. Uh, perhaps it'd be hard for you to do that this morning. But can you sing that from your heart? Hear the call of the kingdom. Let's stand together and sing.